I mean, I'm getting into deep water here. Someone else can give an answer about, uh, about this than I can, but it, I mean, what a weird, we have all these weird human things we don't think about much. Like what is kissing? Right? <laughs> I know what it looks like. <laughs> hey, I, you're supposed to be I, the expert I've here. I've done it. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm the expert here. I was, I was like, wait, <laughs> talk about you're getting into deep waters. Welcome back to Deep in Christ. I'm Father Peter Grodi, and my brother John Mark Grodi is here. John Mark is a family man, and I am a priest, but we are both called to holiness, as are you. And we just continuing the show this week, I continue to talk about these different aspects of our life, you know, these different aspects of what it means to be holy and what our faith means. And so we're glad that you're here to join us in that conversation, and we certainly hope that it's helpful for you. So you're good at that. I think you're going to do the intro every time now, Peter. Oh, geez. <laughs> What are we talking about today? Uh-huh. I know what we're talking about today because you promised me. Did you promise that on camera a couple weeks ago? Did I? I don't think I, I did. I think you promised it off I think, camera. I think I just texted you. I think I texted you about that homily that I was like, hey, I just gave a homily about cannibalism. And you were like, <laughs> okay, we're definitely talking about that on the you show. You should have sent the text message with less context. It would have been hilar- more hilarious that way. <laughs> I want to talk to you about cannibalism. I to talk about <laughs> we have an important topic to discuss. So. Yes, you promised me. That next time we got together, you made me promise on Deep in Christ uh, to talk, as you said, talk about holiness, to talk about our Catholic faith, our walk uh, with our Lord Jesus every day. You were going to talk about cannibalism. We were going to talk about cannibalism. Well, <laughs> with well, let's add the topic more, was going to be cannibalism. Let's add some more context to it because <laughs> I don't. I think, <laughs> I don't I think, think we should stick. I to think it. the less context, the better. Yeah, yeah. me too. No, we are going to talk specifically about. So, well, okay, so I'll take a step back because it's not just the top, the topic itself yeah. is not, it's not that it's not important, <laughs> but it's not the thing you obviously are going to jump right into. Um, it's one of the primary evils facing our society. <laughs> Someone's got to Never before it. has it been so, no. no, I'm just kidding. The, what's fascinating for me about the topic as a Catholic, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as as a priest in particular in some ways. Um, okay, I'm going to st- take a step even back from there. <laughs> At some point during my college, time in college, yeah, I, you know, we were both philosophy majors. That's another fascinating thing about us is that even though, like, your, your vocation is marriage mm-hmm. and my vocation is priest, we both, and it, I was following after you to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but during college, we both were philosophy majors. We both got degrees in philosophy. Yeah. You got it from a state university. I got it from a Catholic university. So we certainly had different experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think it probably led you to probably be a bit more um, discerning. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you had to do like a lot of your own study when it came to good Catholic philosophy. I was sure. kind of, it was nicely spoon fed to me spoon-fed. by a bunch of, you know, Thomas. So. Delicious. It's great. Um, but uh, I remember at some point or other just, doing the thought experiment and i remember how it hit me of like okay you know we as catholics we believe that we eat the body and blood of our lord jesus christ every time we go to mass so what is the difference between that and cannibalism and kind of like playing the devil's advocate i was like well is there a difference you know and that's probably at least some members of this audience around the coming home network Mm -hmm. have at least thought that 
or they've heard people say it. Hmm. It's certainly been a a uh, an accusation levied against Christians historically. Yeah. Well, I was just you know I was doing a little bit of research yeah. you know to kind of talk about this and it. I was because I knew that it had been a thing at some point in history. There was a time where it was like very much put out there, like, okay, this is a th- real thing that we're going to accuse Catholics, you know, slash Christians, of being is cannibals. And you don't you you don't have to go far from the time of Christ, honestly. Like, okay, like we can just step back into John chapter six, and right. they're basic. That's basically what he's being accused. That's of. the when subtext he, there. That's like, the subtext. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the subtext of when Jesus is giving, you know, his sermon there and repeatedly doing it and repeatedly going deeper and deeper, you know, doubling of, of, uh, of du- doubling down on it, um, that this eventually gets to the point of why, you know, why why is it that the Jews eventually say, this is a hard teaching, who can stand it, right. you know, who can right. take it, um, is because he's saying you got to, you know, it sounds like he's telling them they got to be cannibals. And, and, and even, like, right? and even if, you know, even him being a human being aside, mm-hmm. uh, certainly we have all the, the, the dietary laws from the old Testament of mm-hmm. blood and all the different aspects of like the Jews took very seriously what they were supposed to eat and not eat according to the mm-hmm. law and all that stuff. So there was a whole lot going on there in terms of them saying, yeah, this is like, you're, you're really pushing hard here. And, and you know that this pushing is Pushing all shocking. those Jewish buttons. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what he, he was doing. He knew it. Yeah. You know? Well, and, it, and it's important kind of in the context of this whole conversation yeah. and in the context of our faith, we need to take <clears throat> the ending of that whole discussion very seriously that uh, when the people leave, uh, when a lot of them leave him, a lot of his disciples at that moment left, uh, he turns to his apostles and he, he doesn't, you know, try to, he doesn't explain exactly how it's going to work yet. First of all, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't say they misunderstood. This is actually what it means. Right. But he also doesn't explain exactly how it's going to work yet, you know, which eventually we'll learn that there's a, a very mystical element to it, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in the bread becoming his body, but not taking on its its fleshy elements, it, its um, its accidental properties. Sure. Um, he doesn't explain all that to get to them. You know, he basically gives this them this opportunity to, to have faith mm-hmm. that, Whatever it's going to look like, it's going to work out well, right? And so, like right. we see the perfect, we see the perfect response in Peter that we should be able to have, we should be willing to have when it comes to a lot of elements of the teachings of Christ, mm-hmm. which is that basically says, you know, Jesus says, "Will you leave too?" And he says, "Lord, to, who, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life." Mm-hmm. And frankly, like what 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 is being what's happening there? You know, as Peter is saying, basically, I don't understand what you just said. Yeah. This sounds crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't feel in this moment, it does not, is not clear to me. And I don't see how it ever could become clear. But what I know is clear is that you are Jesus, you are the Christ, and you have the words of eternal life. And so I'm ready to basically let my faith supplement where my intellect is not, is not ready to go or right. is not, doesn't see how it could possibly be. I'm ready to allow my faith to sustain me until that time when I can understand it more. Right? It's a great I mean, portrait of faith. Right there, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Right. And it's not, it's not a, it's not a blindness, but no. it's, it's, it's faith. It's faith that supplements where reason is not able to go because we have trust in a person. Exactly. And that, that's what's so important that's is huge. that they have come to trust. They have come to know that he 
is the Christ. They've come to know that he is God. And so they their their trust in him as that person, as Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, is is going to get them is gonna get him through until the time when they can at least have a bit more of an understanding. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah. for most of us it's not really gonna exactly be until the end of time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, like that great the fullness of the mystery is not going to be available to our intellects until we have a, a bit more of a godlike <laughs> purity, you know, uh, yeah. to, uh, to that that, but but it is, it is yeah. interesting to pause there for a moment. That like, yeah. So I mean, number one, you're going to touch a little a little bit on the apologetics here, but that's not primarily what we're doing here. Yeah. We're you know that there's if you go to Ken and Matt's show on the journey or mm-hmm. elsewhere on the website, you know, like there's lots of good apologetics on there. But we're we're talking about the this as a lived experience, uh, and so it's I think it's helpful to interesting to think about this situation as. This is something we're all called to as Christians mm. throughout our our lived experience of the faith that like we, we've come to know Jesus and then that sets us up for this particular um, experience <clears throat> many times where I I know you Christ up you know up to this much but now either you you know you've you know, again he he uh, he gives us a teaching in scripture or just in the in the course of our life we we come to an aspect of our life that we didn't fully let the gospel touch mm-hmm. up to this point. And, it, and we're faced with this this question of faith of, well, yeah, I trust you this much, but what if it calls me to make this change mm-hmm. or to accept this difficulty? What, what if it calls me to accept this suffering in my life mm-hmm. that I can't really see the meaningfulness of right now? That's then this moment of, well, do I, do I, hold, my, do I hold fast to my faith in the person of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. um, and, and wait and expect to understand it further along, uh, oh to my quote, to quote, oh, <laughs> to quote to one of quote our favorite, one of our favorite, oh, favorite uh, songwriters I here. I love Josh Garrels. <laughs> Garrels, yeah. Shout out to Josh Garrels. Shout out to Josh Garrels. Any fans of Josh Garrels? If you there. are watching this and you want to be on this show, he's one of the five people who tune in every week. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, I hope so. Anyway, that'd be cool. You, but as a, anyway. a as a portrait of faith, you know this this moment from John six. Yeah, uh, it's pretty poignant. Yeah. So that is a starting ground when it comes to everything, but. Yeah, we, we can see how in that moment there is definitely the issue of cannibalism is sort of being levied, you know. Yeah. Now, move down the line, and we, as Catholics, we believe that, you know, Jesus gives us a unique expression of this this, this indictment, uh, this, this uh, con, you know, this conviction to, to eat the body and blood of Christ. He gives yeah. us this unique way, this unique means of which, by, uh, of which to do it. Where he, you know, he substantially turns the uh, turns the bread and the wine into his body and blood, though not, you know, we're not going to get deep into that particular theology of it. But the substance of it, the substance of it, is changed such that nothing is left there except the body and blood of Christ, and no, none of the bread, no substance of bread, is left, but in accidental qualities and the visible um, and sensory qualities of it, it remains. The same somehow, and, and those are you know, those are philosophical terms. There, the substance right. and the accidents. You know, if, if people have a yeah. philosophy background or if they've done some reading, they'll recognize mm-hmm. those. But it's not as any good uh, philosophical terminology. It it rests on some common right. sense. Like, right. and I, I think this is always an interesting point that there are some um, uh, people from certain Christian backgrounds that you know they really have a hard time with this notion of of the Eucharist. Sure, but at least in terms of what we have, the experience of Christ himself, like we have the experience of a changed substance, 
mm-hmm. that doesn't fit its accident, so to speak. Right. I mean, that's, it's funny when people, they draw the line at the scandal of the incarnation when it gets to the Eucharist. But it was scandalous enough, this idea of God becoming man. Yeah, right. God having a son. Yeah. God being born, <laughs> laying in a manger, yeah. being dirty, having to be washed, having to be like, there's no end to the scandal, no. so to speak, of of the God who is so humble, so generous that he chose this way of coming to his people. And this is just one more step in that. But right. even in terms of the, the substance accidents distinction, certainly when you when you look on the person of Christ, if we were there, you know, walking through these scriptures, you don't. You didn't see a man who looked different than other men. Mm-hmm. You know, substantially or accidentally. You know, in terms mm-hmm. of his his body, his appearance, he looked like a guy. But but through their experience of him, through his words, through his example, through mm-hmm. the mysterious element of of what was going on in their hearts, the the Holy Spirit touching their hearts when they heard him speak, they came to know that despite what his accidents, despite the appearance, that there was something more here mm-hmm. to this man. Regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's not really the point of kind of getting into this topic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, um, but what we do believe as Christians, what we do believe as Catholics is that when we receive the Eucharist, we receive the body and blood, soul and divinity of Christ. So the fullness of his person, we believe we receive in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, we eat, you know, but, but key in that or one key aspect in that is that we really do eat his flesh and blood. So with that being in mind, Less than 200 years later, after Christ has said this, you already have the Romans making this blatant act, act, accusation against the Christians. Basically that... Um, the elephant in the room. <laughs> calling out the elephant in the room. Call, calling the so elephant in the that elephant. you um, eat the flesh? Eat people? <laughs> they eat... It says here. So, on your pamphlet. On your pamphlet, <laughs> right. Yeah. This mass-produced mass pamphlet that was handed, yeah. <laughs> in the second century. In yeah. the second century, yeah, Sorry. exactly. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Like <laughs> but the Romans are already, like, leveling this accusation, yeah. you know, and I'm sure it's just something where it's like they kind of heard it secondhand, you know, and then mm-hmm. they, like, latched onto it, right? They're, yeah. I, I think the word was Thaisian uh, feast, they were basically saying, and this guy Thaisius, I think is Thaisis or something like that, who basically was a part of Roman myth, and he was tricked into eating his own children. And yeah. so they're, they're you know, classic. Classic, classic Roman myth. Yeah, classic. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, yeah. yeah, just not checking twice. I don't know. Um, but, and so that, that when they're cl- they're when they're claiming this against them, because it's being, you know, written about by sure. this uh, Catholic uh, theologian, the Christian theologian at the time, who is responding to them. And so he's responding to the claim that they are having these Thaisian feasts, yeah. which basically means that, yeah, they're eating people. And even yeah. before you get the answer there, what an interesting piece of Christian history mm-hmm. that the Romans accuse the early Christians of being cannibals. Mm-hmm. And here you have an early Christian apologist going to give the response. Right. right. Well, and it's and it's also notable as kind of an, an apology from an apologetic standpoint. This yeah. is the second century, right? Yeah. Yeah. The way how does he respond? You know, yeah. g- similar to Jesus, where there's the opportunity to sort of like clarify things and be like, no, 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 oh, that's no, no, no. Not, it's just a nice symbol. It's a nice symbol. That's another <laughs> thing with this this particular uh, Athenagoras, or I think is what his maybe his name is. You know, he has this opportunity to basically like, you guys are all wrong about this. Right. He basically says like, no, what we do is is so different from cannibalism because. And that he doesn't give say say we don't because we don't eat flesh and blood. He doesn't he, explain it away. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. explain it away like that. He he kind of doubles down actually, which is fascinating. But but it's interesting to note that like even from that time period, we're sort of facing up to this question. So mm-hmm. 
fasting fasting forward, you know, to now time nowadays, and mm-hmm. fasting forward to me in college, and kind of just thinking about this question of, and I really didn't have much background in terms of like I didn't kind of go and explore it. I didn't at the time when I was sort of trying to think about it. I didn't go and like explore the research on it or yeah. what had been talked about before. But I just I sort of just tried to approach it for from the outside, and I think that's that's why it's sort of significant for us to think about now, especially for you and me being sort of cradle Catholics to a certain extent. We kind of mm-hmm. have a foot in both camps. That's what's fascinating, I think, about us. Yeah. So we sort of have a foot in the camp of converts and foot in the camp of cradle Catholics. But yeah. Yeah. for me, it was fascinating to sort of take a step back outside of the the language that I just become very comfortable with, sure. you know, from the time, from time immemorial in my life, <laughs> you know, just very comfortable with the idea of talking about the body and blood of Christ as something that we eat, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it was helpful to ask this question, like, what makes a Catholic different from a cannibal? What makes what we do different from what a cannibal does when he eats flesh and blood? Right. And uh, of just taking that step back outside of the comfort of just like, oh, well, I've just always known this. So I started thinking about that, you mm-hmm. know, and there are different ways of approaching that. There are a lot of different answers. There are a lot of different things that we could say that make it different. And one side is the apologetic side, but we're mm-hmm. not really going to get into that side mm-hmm. more. I want to get into sort of the two other sides that we were talking about before. The one is sort of what, how, how answering the question shines light on sort of the mystical element of what is happening when we receive, when we eat the flesh of Jesus. And also the other side of kind of what you're talking about, the experience, the experienced element, mm-hmm. the, the, the life in the sacraments is something that you really experience and you really live. And from that, that, that experience, you can really say how there's, there, there's something deeper that's happening there. It's so much, so much deeper because we're receiving a person. Right. But, uh, you well, say what's, well, what's being proposed here? And this is again, uh, um, to Christians who come from a uh, different sort of background, uh, various Protestant ba- backgrounds, is the, the sacramental worldview, the sacramental economy that God chooses to, I mean, you, you've come from a tradition where your your mode of relating with the Lord of the universe was certainly through prayer, through reading scripture, but there's this additional mode where God, just as he came down in the form of a human being and he went and he touched and he spoke and he, you know, he was there physically, that it continues in the sacramental economy, mm-hmm. that through the sacraments of the church, that we we can we can relate to God in this additional uh, way through our senses, through mm-hmm. the through the sacraments, and so like and that just that is that's a big deal. It's very different for some people, but just recognize I think for those people that that's that's what's being proposed by the church here, and God. Could God do that? Well, certainly He can. He can do whatever He wants, just as He chose to become man. So the pr- the proposal here. You know, of the church is that 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 sacramental aspect of the of the Christian faith. It's been there from, from the beginning, and it's being proposed to you to consider. You know, well, this is that's that's a bit much bigger topic. Yeah, yeah, into. and that's the point is that it would be a disservice for us to really try to get into that stuff now. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get to it, but it's just you know, I, I just always yeah. that that's sometimes <clears throat> I think people do get too focused on a particular nitty gritty apologetic point, and they don't step back to see. I guess step into the possibility. Like, what? What if this? Were, what if this were true? You know, mm-hmm. what if I was there and Christ doubled down and said, "Yes, you have to eat my body and drink my blood," and I continued with him, you know, and and we received the Eucharist. Like, would that be all that weird mm-hmm. for the God of the universe to do that? You know, it's just sure. I, I, sometimes we do too much hmm, nitty gritty, uh, kind of in the in the issue apologetics, and we don't consider the worldview. We don't kind of step into another person's worldview and look at it from the inside. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Go on. 
let's yeah. take a step back from from maybe trying to do it in a systematic way and just try to follow along that thought process. So, sure. okay. So, what is the difference between what Catholics do and what a cannibal does? Because we both eat the flesh of another person, another human being. I mean, that's, that's what the definition of a cannibal, right? Mm-hmm. Is you you consume the flesh of another member of the same species in order to sustain your bodily well-being, you know, uh, in order to sustain you. So I was thinking about that, you know, and and what are the different ways that we can explain that? And one of the ways that, that I think this is the way that hits me the biggest, hmm. um, for me, that hits the biggest. And there are, we, we can, you know, kind of enumerate the ways, but I think one of the ways that hits me the biggest, I was meditating upon that, you know, it's like, all right, so there there's, there's definitely like an element of robbery of like, of complete selfishness when it comes to cannibalism. You know, mm-hmm. like there's, whether the, the whether the victim is alive or dead, there is a robbery of the other person's, you know, like of, of their, of the, the beingness to, of their body. Mm-hmm. There's a robbery, a stealing of what is theirs, what belongs mm-hmm. to them essentially. It belongs to their body as their, their flesh. Injustice. Yeah, mm. and and there's a there's a transforming of what belongs to their body unto one's own body, mm. right? I mean, that's mm. the whole point. That's why one would eat another, you know, or theoretically, <laughs> um, is to take what is theirs, you know, to rob their bodily well-being or mm. rob their kind of their corpse, uh, their, if if it's dead, mm. in order to sustain my own. And I was like, well, what what is being first of all, what is happening? You know, what do we believe is happening when we eat the flesh of Christ? First of all, one of the things that we believe is we don't believe that the Eucharist is a dead is dead. Mm-hmm. First of all, we don't believe that. We believe it is the body and blood, soul and divinity, the person of Christ mm-hmm. that we are consumed. So there's neither first of all, it's neither a piece of Jesus mm-hmm. that's kind of like, you know, being taken from the whole. We believe that it is actually his fullness of who he is, mm-hmm. his fullness of his being. Mystically, there's a little mysticism there, you know, yeah. but that it's not as a piece of his body. You know, one of the Eucharistic miracles that happened, they like weighed, um, what's one of the things that we believe is that whether you eat a bit of the Eucharist or the, a full host or whatever, that yeah. you're just receiving the fullness of Jesus. The fullness. Right. Yeah. One of the Eucharistic minister, miracles that happened where it actually, the Eucharist turned into what looked like flesh, Mm-hmm. You know, they do some scientific experiments on those sometimes. And mm-hmm. one of the things they did was they took a bit of it and they weighed it. And they took a bigger bit of it and they weighed it. And they found it weighed the same amount. Oh, wow. It was like, well, well weird. But weird. anyway, yeah. you know, like, one, yeah, weird. <laughs> weird. Weird stuff happens. Sometimes. Weird stuff, man. Yeah. But um, but the point is there, yeah. So we're not, we're not taking a bit of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not stealing a bit of Jesus that takes away from his whole. Mm-hmm. We're receiving his whole self in that. But the biggest thing for me, the biggest thing that I realized is that what we believe, and this something that all Catholics should kind of take a step back from and, and to recognize again, is that when we come forward and not to take the flesh of Christ, but to receive the flesh of Christ that he offers willingly for us and to us, that when we receive the Eucharist into us, we eat the Eucharist, far more real than us taking that host and allowing our, you know, digestive system to transform it onto our body and kind of sustain our being in that way. Mm. 
far more significant and far more real is the fact that in in the taking of in, in Jesus into us, we are brought back into his body. That rather than that rather than robbing from his body, dividing his body up in a way mm. that destroys his body and mm. destroys it and makes makes it our own, such that we are just kind of go back to our seats and we just there's just us. Mm-hmm. You know, each of us as individuals having kind of gained something from it. That we are actually brought into the mystical body of Christ. Mm-hmm. That that it is not is we don't destroy the life that is brought into us mm-hmm. by the Eucharist. It is it brings us back into Him. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul um, Paul talks about that. Um, he says it's no longer when he says it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm-hmm. There's a sense there's a real sense where the Eucharist isn't transformed by us mm-hmm. in the way that it, w- w- a cannibal transforms the flesh of another being. We are transformed by it. Mm-hmm. You know, we are we are brought. Our life is transformed, like unto that of Christ, a bit more and more. You know, and right. and there's a beauty to being able to look out as a priest, look out at the congregation after you've distributed the Eucharist. Well, yeah, you've you've given host after host after host to these people, and it feels sort of like you've divided up. You know, <laughs> you've divided it up amongst the people. But mm-hmm. there's a beauty to looking out and recognizing that, like all these people are renewed in the one body of Christ by what they have received. That Jesus hasn't been divided up. He has not been diminished. He has not been reduced or he's not been consumed in such a way that has, you know, kind of consumed in that sense of, of being eliminated in mm-hmm. these people by by them having received the Eucharist. But that he is actually, he is transforming, you know, each of them more unto his life um, in that you know, in a very yeah. real way, this body of people is is being transformed into the single body of Christ. And there's yeah. just there's a beautiful mysticism there that we really believe that I'm not just not making something up. You know, it's not that this is this is our theology of what the Eucharist does. That it is not a just you know I'm it's not I'm I'm going forward so that I can get some food and then go on my own way. I mean mm-hmm. that's that's sort of the imperfect image of it that we have in the Old Testament with with the uh, this imperfect image that is leading up to the greatness of what's happening there. When mm-hmm. the manna rains down on the Israelites, you know they receive sustenance for the way, mm-hmm. but all it is just it's it's replenishing their bodily existence, mm-hmm. and that's that's all that's happening there. But this this true manna, this true being of Christ is not there just so to sustain our physical existence here on earth. It is God became man so that man might become God. You know, mm. you know, there this this is what this is not just kind of descending from heaven to stay with us or or just or just to uh, sustain our bodily existence here as if there's no other point to it than there. The the point of receiving the Eucharist is to is is so that we with Christ can return back to the Father. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that he is yeah. We are united to Christ and His eternal divinity mm-hmm. in that moment. So. In that, you know, obviously we have all these terms. Even even non-Catholic Christians would have these terms rounding that meal, rounding that, rounding you know, communion. You know, the body of Christ. The communion, I think, is still a pretty familiar mm-hmm. term amongst Christian denominations. Communion. To commune. Commune. Yeah. To commune. Be in communion with Christ and other people. We're in communion because we are incorporated into Christ. You know, we're not in communion with other people because we take bits and pieces of Jesus and are, are incorporated into us. It's that we're incorporated into his body through this. Mm-hmm. And so you're right, it's it's this, 
it is the the reversal of cannibalism proper. Mm-hmm. The reversal, know, absolute it's, reversal. It's a reversal of, of that. And that's important also to recognize that communal sense um, of it because it's not just a it's not just a one-on-one me with Jesus thing mm-hmm. either. It's not a sort of Jesus Jesus dividing up his consciousness so that he can come in with each of us individually, mm. but it to just kind of stay with us. Like he you, there really is a sense of us returning back to the, the one Christ. Right. It's not a bunch of individual Christs who like, you know, has like sort of just a disconnected relationship with each and every one of us. No, there really is a sense of returning and being united together not just with Jesus, but with all of us in the one Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and that's important to recognize because the time after, you know, we receive communion can just become sort of like a, mm-hmm. all right, now this is me and Jesus moment, you know, and, and rather than recognizing that uh, there there really is a communal element to the worship that we offer, especially in that moment after we've received communion. Mm-hmm. Um, because in a real way, we are... Uh, not just connected, you know, with, mm. with everybody in the room, but but really are communing with them, really are in communion with them. It would <laughs> seem to me that the um, the the symbolic aspect, because, I mean, sometimes in the apologetics, there's this, this division made between what Catholics believe the Eucharist is and then what people would say, oh, it is only symbolically, whereas we would embrace it. It's, it's the both and there. Mm. That, yeah, we believe that it is Jesus's body and blood, but there's also it's it's fraught fraught with sim, with symbolism there that it's helpful to understand. You know the symbolism of the meal of the eating is important. It seems like there's connections here between the symbolism in Scripture of the meal of the bread, you know, bread from heaven, the Lamb of God, but also the the images of marriage, the images of mm-hmm. you know, God marrying His people, in the sense of you know, um, in marriage you have a, a laying down. So this is my body, which is given up for you. I mean that that that's so connected to what happens, what what is promised, what is offered mm-hmm. in marriage. I, I'm making this promise to lay down my my life, that is my body, my, my existence, for you in a way that that unites, you know, that 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 the people are united. Mm-hmm. It, it's similar to um, the relationship between like human fatherhood and, and the fatherhood of God, in the sense that. Mm. One of the ways of viewing that is mm-hmm. such that, like, one of the ways that we understand God is by kind of comparing him to our earthly view of fatherhood and mm-hmm. sort of saying, like, like, oh, if we, like, think of the fatherhood of, or we, we think of human fatherhood, we can kind of get a sense for, like, you know, as an analogy sort of to God, rather than the idea that it's not that, it's not that God's fatherhood is... It's not relative to our fatherhood. It's the other way around. Is it's that the, there's it's our fatherhood is an imperfect image of the true fatherhood of God, right? Right. Rather than that's one of the ways that we just try to understand God is basically by relating Him to human fatherhood as right. sort of like you know like a diminishing of God in that way. But it's similar with the Eucharist in that all these different images that we have of the Eucharist of meal mm-hmm. of marriage and different things. It's mm-hmm. not that it's not that these are just ways of. Uh, it's not that that we we take sort of what whatever the Eucharist is, and we basically just kind of like relate it by bringing it down to like these right. these human levels. It's like no, all these things are they're imperfect images, but steps towards the the real deeper thing that is the Eucharist. The right. Eucharist is not less than those things, and we try to then kind of relate it up to those things. It's more than all those things, right. and those are just those are steps towards that greater mystery, that greater reality that is. 
um, that is just tasted at with those things. Yeah. You know, we we don't when, when we use image like you know marriage, mm-hmm. you know, or the the bridegroom and the bride. It's not because like well, in kind of like a you know tangential way, it's almost like as it's almost as significant a communion as a, a man and woman have in that mm-hmm. way. No, it's no, it's a greater mm-hmm. communion than that. Mm-hmm. That is like an image. Uh, the the communion that man and woman have in, in marriage is mm-hmm. is uh, even just a step towards that. Um, yeah. That communion we have in Christ. I mean, I'm getting into deep water here. Someone else can give the answer about uh, about this than I can. But it, I mean, what a weird. We have all these weird human things that we don't think about much. Like, what is kissing? Right? <laughs> I know what it looks like. <laughs> hey, I, you're supposed to be I, the expert I've here. I've done it. Like, I'm, I'm the expert here. I was, I was like, wait, talk about you're getting into deep waters. Yeah. But, you know, like, <laughs> oh, gosh. without digging into psychology or like what people could say, like, surely symbolically, however, mm-hmm. for whatever reasons that's a thing, it <laughs> is an image of, of consuming another person, hmm. sucking on somebody else's face. To put it in very, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. But like, so the, even in the, the marital embrace mm-hmm. in human sexuality, there is this this desire to be so united with someone that there's this almost of giving and receiving of one's body, right, in various ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just again, it's just interesting that that in our human sexuality, this this is what Pope John Paul you know taught in the theology of the body. Is that as you again as you were pointing out that it's in our these real good human things that have been given to us, um, you know, uh, God isn't a symbol of them; they are symbols for different aspects of our relationship with God. And so, and the Eucharist being this this sort of tantamount way uh, that God gives Himself to His people as true food and true true drink. Yeah, you've had you've had food and drink. I give you true food and true drink. You you have communion. You even have bodily union. Mm-hmm. But I'm giving you some what that's been pointing towards, mm-hmm. which is this incorporation into the body of Christ, this yeah. incorporation into um, uh, the Son of God, you know, the true Son of the Father, so that you can be in this relationship with the Father in a way that, again, for for the Jews was something radically new and mm-hmm. a little bit scandalous. But that's what God condescended to do, what he what he came to give us. And that connection between, you know, the, the spiritual reality and the physical reality, that's that's inseparable for us mm-hmm. in the sense of that God has given us, um, we are not, you know, we are not souls in, in human body shells that we're just kind of waiting for that day where it'll sort of be transcended. Right. You know, that, that even though the, even though the, the physical consuming of food that sustains our bodily life, even though that is basically, in a sense, just a symbol, or just just not not just a symbol. I mean, it's really happening, but it, in, on the level of importance, is just a symbol uh, leading up that that's pointing the way to the fact that we consume the divine life of Christ that gives us real spiritual life in the Eucharist. Still, Jesus, in His wisdom, makes that available to us in a physical way. Right. You know, and, and and that's that's a there's a real a real symbol going yeah. on there. You know, I mean that's that's what sacraments are all about. I think we um, were talking uh, during Lent, or it might have actually been on one of these episodes, but we were talking about the experience of fasting um, as a spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. But then, of as a Catholic, receiving the Eucharist in the midst of fasting, because mm-hmm. you know, like you know, it might be 
you know, Lent or, or sometime where you're mm-hmm. fasting for a particular reason. And Catholics are always invited, uh, expected to fast for a brief period of time before before Mass, before they mm-hmm. receive the Eucharist. But particularly when you've, as a spiritual discipline, taken on a longer fast, mm-hmm. and then you go to Mass and receive the Eucharist, it, it brings the physical aspect of that sacrament, you mm-hmm. know, the actual eating, the actual being hungry, the actual mm-hmm. experiencing your, your body yearning for physical sustenance. It brings that uh, interconnection with this spiritual thing that you're trying to live out, which is, no, I'm called to be in union with Christ. The experience of fasting and then receiving the Eucharist really pulls those two realities together. Where you're yeah. like, oh, yes, food was always, it's, it's important, it's this gift, it's this good thing, but it's always also, and perhaps especially, pointing to that the only thing that can truly uh, slake my thirst mm-hmm. and and feed my hunger is God. Mm-hmm. And in the Eucharist, we have those two things come together. My desire for God and my body's natural ordering toward food comes together in, oh, God has given me true food and true drink mm-hmm. in the sacrament of the Holy yeah. Eucharist. It's a really amazing Absolutely. thing to approach as a Christian. Yeah. Know? We love, well, it, it, it's significant for us. It's important for us to, to re- continuously recognize that you know the, the the physical isn't just a stepping stone to the spiritual mm-hmm. for us that 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 Jesus has shown that in the sense by Jesus has shown that by irrevocably becoming a man yeah you know it, it sometimes it's easy to think about Jesus kind of taking this step down to becoming man for this time so that he could show us what he needs to do and then he could return to the father and then he's no longer a man right, right. but it's like no that, that's 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 the astounding part of the yeah. incarnation is that Jesus, that the second the second person of the Trinity, the Word of God, irrevocably joined himself to humanity yeah. in that way, and uh, now now in his wisdom he he is, uses that to relate to us, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in that physical way. Right. Um, but one of the fascinating things that we so so one of the fascinating things, things that we do in Christianity all the time or Catholicism especially is we continuously use those physical symbols to really draw us deeper into the spiritual um, mm-hmm. and because they we really are physical and spiritual people and mm-hmm. so the more that we unite or uh, the more that we relate on both those levels and join on both those levels mm-hmm. um, more significant um, those things become and the more the more really we're able to embrace them so one of the, the symbols that we use in the liturgy sometimes is the like the incense mm-hmm. and uh i i really loved bishop Barron's explanation of it one time that part of the reason we use incense especially around the eucharistic stuff you know, surrounding the altar right yeah. there's a few different reasons for that one is that incense symbolizes prayer and so there's mm-hmm. a sense of, of 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 prayer lifting up to god right so right. In the deep theology that we have of the Eucharistic sacrifice, what that the priest is offering the sac- perfect sacrifice of Christ to God, so there's a sense of that being raised up by our prayers surrounding mm-hmm. the altar, you know, with is that raising this thing, what is being offered on this altar to heaven. But the other element is surrounding what's happening on that altar with a haze mm-hmm. of the of their of kind of filling the air with this smoke, of reminding us that there is a deep mystery here that we are never going to be able to fully penetrate yeah. you know as much as we can kind of point to all these different things that there's a, a beautiful mystery there that's as deep as the mystery of the person of christ right um but it's like amazing when we do that mm-hmm. it's like that type of stuff can really the, the sensory perception there really can get to you 
yeah. you know, of like, of, you, no one's walked into a room that's filled with like, you know, walked into like a church that's filled with incense mm-hmm. that hasn't had kind of that increased sense of like, whoa, like mm-hmm. there's something ritualistic and kind of mysterious going on here, mm-hmm. you know? And it's not just to kind of create this aura, but mm-hmm. it's just basically to, it's to help our senses to really embrace the reality that's going on, not right. to create the reality, not to create the mystery, but to, but to help us to recognize and embrace and that, the mystery. That's part of the point of, you know, with this episode's, you know, cannibalism, you know, we're talking about yeah. cannibalism. Well, yeah. as you said, it's kind of a way, like, like, um, it's a way to, to maybe shock us out of what's normal, at least for us as Catholics. Mm-hmm. And in, you know, in this case to address, you know, a real sort of elephant in the room in Christian history of, so so is it cannibalism? What, is, what does it mean that Christ has saying you're mm-hmm. to eat my flesh and drink my blood and that Catholics take that seriously? But it's interesting, too, to think about how the negative symbols do shine light on, on, on the truth here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not cannibalism, but cannibalism is closer to the truth than someone saying it's just merely a symbol. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. It's not just like people saying, oh, Jesus was merely a nice guy. No, as as Lewis and others have pointed out, like he's either a, a liar, a lunatic, or he's God. Mm-hmm. There's no nice middle ground. Like he's just a nice guy. No, it, it's either he's God or he's a terrible, terrible person. Mm. Either the Eucharist is the the coolest, most glorious thing in the world for the Christian, or yes, it's an awful, weird. Like mm-hmm. it, it really is that. Another anti-symbol I was thinking is like the throughout history of the the vampire, right? Mm-hmm. The vampire, the one who takes blood of another human being for its sustenance. Mm-hmm. This sort of this sort of anti-Christ symbol of mm-hmm. the vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's significant because you know it, it is it is highlighting the the you know the life force, the blood, the the taking. But again, Christ is the opposite of that. It's this laying down of his life mm-hmm. to give true food and true, true drink in this way that incorporates the person into, into God rather than mm-hmm. the other way around. Um, again, sometimes those those anti-symbols, those, they're, they're wrong, but they do by, they shock us out of what maybe what's too familiar. Back to the reality, the incarnation was crazy and weird and wild and scandalous, mm-hmm. um, but it was shockingly good. Yeah, and what God did. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's interesting to see how it's interesting to notice how Jesus, because of his nature as God, is able to do things, is able to offer things and do things for us that we wouldn't be able to do for each other. Hmm. So, for instance, like, you know, I if while while there's the the reality of martyrdom is a beautiful thing, and hmm. we are able to participate in the sacrifice of Christ in a particular way if, if we become martyrs um, by willingly doing that. But it's only a, partici- it's a participation in that. Right. We couldn't, I couldn't have done anything on my own. If I had been like Jesus and be like, you know what, for the sake of the world, I'm, I'm going gonna, to go yeah. to my death. You know, I'm going to willingly like submit to this and just go to my, it would have been meaningless. It would have yeah. done nothing. And I, I can't, you know, like in a crazy moment, say like, you know what, I'm going to help you by feeding you my flesh and blood, right. I'm going to willingly give it up for you. It's like, okay, I, I can't do that. Yeah. Because basically, because I'm not Jesus, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, because I'm not God. Yeah. Um, I can't give, mm-hmm. I can't give any sort of life to you mm-hmm. other than just basically kind of a, just maybe a sort of pseudo sustaining of your physical life here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in a way, in such a way that where you're robbing me of, of my life by mm-hmm. me, 
sort of giving, giving it to you. Mm-hmm. Not in the way that, that Christ, who is God, can give his divine life through his physical life. Precisely yeah. because he's he's infinite, right? We're, we're finite. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do find the situation where we can we can give even all that we have, all that we are, and it's mm-hmm. not enough to save the world. It's not even enough to save ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we need God who is sort of infinite. We need, we need uh, his life. We need to be incorporated in his life. Yeah, we can't do it on our own. We sure. don't have we don't have enough in us. You know? Right. Well, and it's yeah, it's the mystery of it's also the yeah, it's just the mystery of his divinity being kind of able to make things that way too. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the sense like there's there's a reality to God being able to do things because he's God, mm-hmm. where I can't do that, or if I tried to do that, it would be wrong. Mm-hmm. So like, if God decides it's someone's time to die, mm-hmm. it's not murder. Mm-hmm. That that. That is his so. decision. Right. You know, I mean, this is his time. He has authority. He is, he is the author. He yeah. is the authority. Right. Yeah. Um, and he has the wisdom and the, the perfect knowledge of everything to know when the right time is and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. For me, it's murder because I take from God his, basically his divine ability to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a sense with all this stuff that it's like, yes, it would be completely crazy and logical and impossible for any of us to be able to offer you know our flesh to each other in that way mm-hmm. but he is able to do that because he's god yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. it, it actually makes a difference yeah well that goes back again back to the beginning here yeah. is that when we encounter when we approach god do we approach <clears throat> him on our terms on like what i can already imagine what already makes sense to me or do we approach jesus saying you're, you're jesus mm. and i i want to accept where that confirms what I believe, what it seems to me to be the case. But then when that when that challenges me in some way, that when it pushes beyond what I already believe or I already understand or I'm already mm-hmm. comfortable with, I, do I trust our Lord Jesus enough to be open to what he wants to give me even if it's, mm-hmm. even if it clashes with my sensibilities, with mm-hmm. my, uh, my preconceptions? Yeah. So. And that's part of the, again. That's just we talked about that recently. No, it was somebody else. It was me and Matt. Just talked about that. You know that um, being part of the Christian life is this death and resurrection of our Motif. of our of our of our icons of mm. our beliefs. Mm-hmm. You know, if we want to receive more from Christ, we have to be willing for even our conception of who He is to be torn down when it's yeah. time for Him to give us something new, yeah. something more. Well, thank you, brother, brother, father, brother, brother. But, yeah, as always. This conversation. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Deep in Christ. Yeah. Again, I'm John Mark Grodi, uh, Chief Operating Officer here at the Coming Home Network, and Father Peter is the pastor. No, no, not the pastor. No, pastor. Sorry, oh, no, yeah, thank no, goodness. No, no, no. he's so, a, a parochial vicar. Parochial vicar, yeah. In uh, Finlay, Ohio, uh, St. Michael's Parish, and we're here every week just talking about uh, our life in Christ, uh, about this walk in Christ, prayer, virtue, uh, vocation, mm-hmm. all this kind of, kind of stuff. So we're glad you joined us for this episode. Uh, as always, you know, subscribe and like and do that kind of stuff so that you can follow along with uh, our continuing conversations. Um, and as always, this is uh, a production of the Coming Home Network International. We're a network of people who uh, came to embrace uh, what we believe is the fullness of Christ in the Catholic Church. And we're a network of people who have made that journey and others who are considering doing so. And so if that's you, if you have questions or you're on that journey, you're thinking about becoming Catholic, this is your network. This is the network of people for you to to walk alongside uh, in your Christian in your Christian journey as it continues. Mm-hmm. And so visit www.chnetwork.org. Uh, we've got a lot of great resources there, stories, videos, um, but especially our community, community.chnetwork.org. 
or you can walk along um, in this this neat way we have through the media mm-hmm. uh, to walk along with each other uh, on the Christian life day to day. And you also can follow along with this show uh, and continue episodes uh, as we as we continue. So thanks again. We'll see you next week. God bless. Thank you.